Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening. Welcome. So many friends. Hello. Welcome. For those of you that aren't aware who I am, I have the pleasure of calling myself the Chief Encouragement Officer here at the House of St. Barnabas. And my name is Sandra. And I have had the pleasure of working here for the last eight and a half years. And I thought I'd give you a couple of minutes of what, where, who, how before I hand over to our inaugural speaker, Charlie Dark, for the evening. So, why? Well, actually, you can't see it was a bit frustrating, but this second window over here, we will get it back lit at some point, is actually St. Barnabas holding this chapel, the chapel of the House of St. Barnabas of the House of St. Barnabas fame. And St. Barnabas is actually the patron saint of encouragement, and that is the theme of our address. So why are we here? What are we doing? Well, we believe at the house that everyone should be treated with dignity. And actually, we all need a little bit of encouragement at some point in our lives. Different phases, different needs. Sometimes a little, sometimes a little bit more. So what we do is we support people affected by homelessness in London back on their way into the world of work and beyond. We do that through our not-for-profit club, which may seem a little bit weird, but just go with it. And we integrate into this social business our Employment Academy, which is up on the top two floors of our beautiful Georgian townhouse. And we integrate that into the workings of the club. So people get live work experience, they get accredited training, they get the confidence and the skills to go out into the world of work and beyond and actually not just survive, but thrive. And that's how you break the cycle, and that's what we really talk about. So for us... Think about for a second, if you have a problem, what do you do? You talk to your friends, you talk to your family, you talk to your colleagues. What happens if that network breaks down? What happens if you go to that network and the network isn't there anymore? That's what we try and be. We try and be a network for people. So actually, we don't know what they're going to need. So if it's not us, we go to friends of friends of friends, of which many people in this room are a part of that network, and we say thank you for that. And on to the man of the evening, Mr. Charlie Dark. For those of you that don't know Charlie, Charlie is a fellow born and bred Londoner. I don't know how many there are of us in the room, but yay. And he is many, many things, but just a few of them are a, I was about to say magician, not a magician. Are you a magician? I don't think you're a magician. Musician, <laughs> DJ, a teacher in many, many, many creative arts, practitioner, mentor, presenter, and a self-confessed running addict. So... I have the absolute pleasure to introduce him as the inaugural speaker of the St. Barnabas Address. So I'd like you all to join me in welcoming Charlie. Thank you very much. Right, this is a pretty amazing occasion for me. I'm, I'm, I'm actually super excited to be here. I wish my English teacher was here to see me <laughs> at this time. See, it turned out okay in the end. Right, okay, so let's get into it. So the first thing that I'd like to do is basically... I want you to think about a couple of things. I want you to think about people in your life who have encouraged you and also the last time you received some encouragement from someone and who was it from. So we're going to give you... One minute, and one minute only, for you to do the following thing. 
I'd like you to turn to the person on your left and your right, and I want you to just look at them for 30 seconds. Your time begins now. Just really try and study their face. OK? OK, that's enough, because some people are falling in love already. <laughs> but now, what I would like you to do is to look at that person again, and I'd like you to pay them a compliment. I want you to tell them something about them that you like, that you love, that you've just noticed. Just something that you think will make them feel good. Your time begins right now. Here you go. So we're all friends now. We've all given each other some encouragement. And hopefully, we've all, we're all feeling a nice feeling inside ourselves. We're nodding our heads affirmatively that, yes? Is anyone who basically got a compliment was like, actually, that made me feel really bad? <laughs> oh, OK, cool, cool. Right, so the thing is this, is basically um, encouragement is like a drug. It's like one of the most, most powerful drugs that you can consume. It gets quite addictive, having people around you who tell you how wonderful you are at all times of the day. Now, I know this because my son, the 10-year-old, the youngest of the Dart family, basically, from the moment he opens his eyes to the moment he goes to bed, everyone in his life basically spends their whole time telling him how amazing he is. <laughs> you were on the iPad for six hours yesterday. That was amazing. <laughs> you jumped off the sofa. That was amazing. Like, his whole life is about being told how amazing he is. His older sister, on the other hand, who's 12, about to go on 13, is in secondary school and doesn't like compliments, doesn't really like being encouraged at all because she's getting older. And it's kind of not cool the older you get. So she's already in the system. So the thing is this. That's one of the reasons why I actually love running. Because the thing about running is that when you go running, you're guaranteed to have a couple of things happen. One, someone's going to say to you, you look like Forrest Gump. <laughs> that always happens. Generally, they've got a beer and a cigarette in their hand. Um, or secondly, what you're going to probably get is, go on, pick your legs up. You can do it, mate. That's why I run marathons. Because when you run a marathon, you, you line up under the start line of the London Marathon with 45,000 other people from around the world. And then basically, another 45,000 people come out and tell you how amazing you're doing. Go on, Charlie. You can do it. Never met me before in my life, but they actually are convinced that I can do it. It's a, it's a drug. It's addictive. That's the reason why you keep on doing them, because you get addicted to the fact that strangers are taking time out of their day to tell you how amazing you are doing. So. I've made a life and a career out of encouraging people, not because for any other reason than because at times in my life, I've really, really needed it. I've, I've craved it. It saved me. Just a smile or a wink or just a kind word from someone has actually just turned my day around. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk a bit about the subject of encouragement. We're going to also talk about some people who I've met in my life who have been really super encouraging to me and some other situations, and some of you are here, and don't be embarrassed if I mention your name. Right, so, this is how we're going to begin this story. We begin this story with the following. Um, I was a late starter in the tattoo game. Who has tattoos here? Does anyone have tattoos? There's a lady over there, she's like, no, I would never have a tattoo. You got tattoos? OK, cool. So I didn't get my first tattoo on my body until I was around 41 years old. Everyone around me just thought I was having a midlife crisis. Why is he basically now disfiguring his skin and putting on writing on his body? <laughs> okay. okay? So, 
the reason why I did that is that at a time in my life, I wanted some constant reminders to myself. On my left arm, I have basically a tattoo that says, I do not run, I push the earth down with my feet, and I leave my footprints in the concrete behind me. That's my first little thing that I like to say to myself. I see it every day when I open my eyes and wake up. The second one I have is, the heights achieved by great men were not attained in a sudden flight, but they, whilst their companions slept, were toiling bravely in the night. And for many years, I had absolutely no idea what that meant. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. I've also got on my arm, another one that says, um, king for a day. And then in my house, in my garden, on the wall in my garden, when I wake up, the first thing I see is a, a big, massive piece of street art that says, I am enough. And I had that painted at a, at a time in my life when I, was, I felt I was surrounded by people in situations that made me feel that I was not enough. I wasn't getting the encouragement, the drug that I needed, and the running was no longer working as much because that had now become the job. So, my mum is a really special character. She's quite a unique individual. And my mum used to say that quote to me, the highest achieved by great men were not attained in a sudden flight, but they was the companion slept were toiling bravely in the night. Every day, every single day of my life, my mum would wake up and say that quote to me before I went to sleep, before I went to school, before I did anything. And, and again, at the time, I was just like, I don't understand. It sounds cool. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, summer of 77. This is the first piece of encouragement that I've received in my life from my mum. We're living in South London, in East Dulwich. East Dulwich is not cool. When you tell people you live in East Dulwich, they're like, oh, you grew up in Dulwich. No. At that point in time, East Dulwich was a hole. <laughs> it was next to Peckham. And it was just one of those places that people did not like. And I, I want to give you a bit of context, a, a bit about kind of what London was like back then. London essentially was just four areas, north, south, east, and west. And you wrecked whichever one you were at. You know, you go to a concert, is South London the house? Ah. You put your hand up in here. That was our, like our big thing. And we were living in South London. As far as I was concerned, South London was an island of which I would never, ever leave. In fact, it wasn't even about South London. I just actually thought I was never actually going to leave my street. When I looked out of my window, I didn't really see people doing very much. They were born in their houses, they worked in the area, they died in their houses. They absolutely never left. And I remember just looking out the window of my bedroom, just thinking, I just want a bit more. I just want to see what's down at the end of the road. Like, if I can just get to the end of the road, I wonder what I'll find. So for my seventh or eighth birthday, I decided that the way I was going to get some freedom, the way I was going to get to the end of the road, is I was going to get a bike. And the bike that you had, that you wanted to get, was the bike called the Rally Chopper, was like, the bike. And everyone's showing their age now, because it's like, yeah, yeah, the Rally Chopper. <laughs> And the rally chopper for me was like, I used to pour for the Littlewoods catalogue, just like, you don't know about catalogues, but it was like a thing that they used to put for your post box. Okay. Anyway, I would pour for the Littlewoods catalogue, and after I'd kind of gone for the lingerie section, <laughs> you asked me to keep it real, you asked me to keep it real, yeah? These are the days, it wasn't Instagram days where people were just flinging the pictures around, it was Littlewoods catalogue. We'd get to the bike section, I would just concentrate, and I was just like, right, okay, I want a bike. I'm going to get my mum. I'm going to convince my mum to get me a chopper bike. And I, I, I don't even know how much a chopper bike was, but that was money that we didn't have. But I was convinced I was going to get the bike. I was good. I did the chores. I carried the rice bag home from Peckham Market. I felt no shame whatsoever. And I spent the day on my birthday 
the night before with one foot on the side of the bed and the other on the floor pretending to ride this bike. And I was so convinced that when I woke up in the morning, the bike was going to be there. I was so convinced. I was like, I've got it. My mum's going to get the bike from me. We open up the front door on my birthday and I walk out expecting to fall over the bike and there's no bike. And I'm devastated. Obviously, I've told everyone in school that I'm going to get this bike and I'm going to be riding it in the next day. And there's no bicycle there at all. And I can feel the tears kind of bubbling up in my face. And I'll always, always remember this. As I step out, I remember my foot kicking the floor and there were two, little, two parcels. One of them was a square and one of them was round. I picked these up. My mum my mom said to me, hey, Jale, my mum's from Ghana. You know, and I do a very bad impression of her accent, but you know what I mean. But she's like, if you open these packages and I open them up, and one of them is a box of pins, not a bike, and the other one is an atlas. And I'm just thinking, this woman's deranged. Like, I asked for a bike, and you got me a box of pins and an atlas. What's this going to do for me? And my mum's like, look, anywhere you put the, open the atlas, and anywhere you put the pin, I will take you in the world. I'm like, okay, so I'm still really upset about the fact that I haven't got a bike. But I, get, I open the atlas up, and I get the pin, and I kind of move it around, and I stab it in, and it basically lands in this place that looks a bit like a football boot called Italy. And I end up, I always remember this, we end up basically going to Rome, Venice, and the Vatican for my birthday, basically. And that was my mum's my way of basically showing me a couple of things. One... The world that you live in is bigger than a South London street. Secondly, you are allowed to travel. I know a lot of people who basically will never, ever travel. They're scared to even leave their postcode, let alone leave the country. It's amazing the fact that basically there are so many people that live in London. It's, it's a very pressured atmosphere, but just half an hour outside is vast countryside that you can just go and hang out in and breathe the air, and it's just different and... We never do it, because we're basically programmed to this thing of like, you're from the ends, you're from the hoods, you've got to stay here. You can't go. So my mum takes me on this amazing trip, and we go out there, and I, I can remember eating pasta for the first time, and this opened up this world of travel to me. My mum's one of those people who's like, always encouraged you to travel. You've got to travel, you've got to go and see places. When I was obsessed with hip-hop in the 90s, all of my friends would just sit in our house and watch MTV religiously, rapping in the mirror in the bathroom. I'm six foot four and la 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 and na 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 na. <laughs> just wouldn't get on a plane to go. And then one day I decided, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I'm, I'm kind of, this music's really cool. I really like this music that they're playing, but it doesn't really appeal to my life because I'm living in South London. I don't have a gun, I don't have a car, I don't have a girlfriend, I don't have any gold whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not fly, I'm not dope, I'm, I'm just whack. But I'm, let me go to America to see. And I go and work. I remember I worked in a school dinner's kitchen for the whole of the summer and washing dishes to pay £250 for a courier flight to go to New York. And the day I landed there, I went to the Bronx with my English accent, <laughs> basically, just to take pictures, just to say, here is me standing outside Cool Herc's house. This is pre-internet, you had to go. But my mum was the person that encouraged me to do that. So it taught me that your environment does not define you, and secondly, people outside of your world are excited by you. So that's one of the first things I'm going to say, is that basically, if you're sitting at home thinking, you know, things aren't looking too up, and no one's really excited about this amazing idea that I've been thinking about for all of this time, then my thing is, go and travel. 
go away somewhere else where you're the different person, but your voice sounds different. It's amazing what an English accent can do in New York. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, so that's one of the things. Um, oh, another thing that happened to me is I got sent to Ghana as well in the 80s. And I went reluctantly. I really, look, you're laughing, it happened to you too? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I really did not want to go. But actually, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I found this record when I was there by this guy called Felakuti called um, Africa Center of the World. And listening to that in Ghana on an old gramophone changed my life. It was just kind of like, wow, this guy's talking about this place that I really never wanted to come to, and he's making it sound like it's really cool. And when I look out the window, it's actually really cool. And all these other kids around here think that I'm really cool. Like, at home, I've got no-name trainers. But in Ghana, I'm the Adidas king. <laughs> this place is amazing. Anyway, so we digress. Right, so my mum, basically the first person in my life to really, who I really was like my encouraging person. I think it's really important to have a champion. A lot of times we fail in ideas because we don't have a champion. We actually don't have someone that wakes up in the morning and says, you're beautiful, you're this, you're talented, you're great, you're super fantastic. Remember the 10 year old in our house, he gets that all the time. But it's very rare that anyone comes to me and is like, wow, you did that, that's really amazing, and thank you and so on and so forth. So my mum, the champion, Independent, strong, curious, and very inquisitive. Well, another thing she used to tell me as well is, and this is about the truth of encouragement, it's always good to have people in your circle who tell you the truth. So there are two schools in my area, William Penn and Alain's. You can already tell, like, what, where I'm going, can't you? Because William Penn sounds a bit William Penn. Alain's College of God's Gift. <laughs> like, they're two different places. So, uh, my mum was like, again, one of those people who was like, look, we need to encourage this child because otherwise he will settle. So we need to give him a little push. The way we're going to give him a push is we're going to try and get him into the super posh private school that basically none of his other friends go to. Remember, this is the 80s. And I get managed to get an assisted place and I go there. And what was really interesting about that whole experience is the primary school I was at at the time didn't want me to go. They didn't want to encourage me to do the thing in case I failed. One of us tried to make it to the top and he didn't make it. Nah, let's not let that happen. And I can always remember my mum getting dressed and going to the school. And in those days, I was mortified. Like, you'd never want your mum to come to the school. You don't want your mum to come to the school. And she marched in there and she was like, he's going to Alain's. He's going to do it. And it was, one, again, one of the best things that ever happened to me. So thanks, mum. Thank you very much for that. So the one thing that taught me about being in this place is that there are many different worlds in this world that we live in. And I think a lot of us are kind of in this thing where we just think the world is just one place, when actually there are lots of pockets of small worlds within the world. And going to Alain's, Alain's College of God's Gift, you know, super private school in Dulwich. There's only four black kids there in the whole time that I am there. I walk in, I'm skinny, as a pencil, and I have an afro, and I'm really just not cool. I'm just kind of like... And everyone in this place thinks that I'm cool. They're just like, oh, man, you must know about music and la 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 I'm like, like, yeah, kind of, I don't really know. So what it taught me being in this new environment was that, one, you can do anything. I unfortunately had to learn Latin. And the only thing I remember from that is carpe diem. That's it. Seize the day, which is quite a good lesson as well in when we're thinking about the encouragement game. This idea of seizing the day, seizing the moment. Because I always think about this as like, imagine this is your 100th birthday, and 
every, all of your friends and family and associates all gathered in the room and are talking about how, how you are. What I want to know is like, and let's have a think about that. On your 100th birthday, how do you want to be remembered? Do you remember for the things that you did or the things that you were talking about you were going to do? Yeah? So we've got a carpe diem and we've got to see today. So there's your immediate parental encouragement crew who basically will come into your life. But unfortunately, some of us are not blessed with an encouraging parent. So if we're not lucky enough to have a parents who basically are encouraging, who else can we turn to? Teachers. They're the second kind of group of people that you meet. It's kind of like this. I always say to kids, it's kind of like, you do realise that basically your first perception of architecture is school. That's the first place, other than your house, that's a building that's not yours, that you kind of learn about and has different rooms and a weird, funny design and la 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 la. Anyway, so teachers, the first people you meet outside of your family whose job it is to encourage you, like they pay, they pay to encourage you, they've got to teach you stuff and encourage you. And luckily for me, going to the super posh private school in Dulwich in the 80s at the time when no one else was going there, you know, whilst all my friends were walking around South London with one leg shorter than the other, kind of walking down the street like that, you know what I mean? I wanted to do that, I wasn't allowed to. Um, the good thing that we had at Allen's is we had lots of eccentric teachers. And I always think when you're kind of trying seeking encouragement, you've got to seek it from unlikely sources. Mr. Banson, my Latin teacher, who was also the hockey coach as well, he loved Latin with like, I mean, I've never actually seen anyone in my life who, had, who showed as much passion for words as he did. And that really was like, I was like, wow, man, you, like when you talk, it's like the words are food in your mouth. That's pretty cool. I'm going to take a bit of that. We can take our encouragement from different sources. I didn't really like the fact that he kept gin in his drawer, but other than that, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, Mrs. Chivers, my drama teacher. Amazing and amazing, amazing, amazing woman who basically was one of the first people in my life who was like, look, the thing about drama is you can pretend to be someone that you are not. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Because when I leave my house in East Dulwich, which at this point is a hole, and I put my Alain suit on, and I walk out of East Dulwich and up the hill to your school, I'm kind of pretending to be someone that I'm really not. So that's quite cool that you can officially do that, and that's okay. But the most important person, I think, and I want you all to think about this, is the teacher who changed life. There's all one. There's, like, we've, hopefully, we've all met at least one who was like, I've got some time for you. And my guy is Mr. Shepherd. He's my English teacher. He was young. He wore a beret. That was cool. <laughs> he wore it to the side. That was even more cool. Even Courtney Pine didn't wear the beret to the side. He just wore it on the top. He smoked French cigarettes, and he had a real Burberry Mac. And that was like my thing, like, this is how English teachers must be. <laughs> and then one day he sees me, I'm crying in the playground, and he's like, look, Charles. Even the way he said my name, I used to be like, I don't really like my name, but the way you say my name is pretty cool. Charles. What's wrong, Charles? I was like, well, you know, I'm here in the school and I'm finding it really hard and the work is really hard. Like, I was really clever in my junior school, like, I was at the top. But now I've come here and I'm in an environment where there were kids here who basically have been learning French since they were five. And I'm really finding it really struggling to keep up. And I don't really think that people like me very much as well, because I'm a bit different from everyone else. And I'm not as cool as everyone thinks I am. And he was like, Charles, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you two things that are going to change your life forever, Charles. I'm thinking, man, he's going to give me some friends. What's he going to give me? 
And he basically gives me two things. He gives me, and it's funny, it's like the encouragement always comes in two. We have the atlas and the pins. Now we have another two. The pen and the black book with no words in it. I'm like, this guy's cheap. <laughs> can't even give me a book with some words in. He's like, Charles, what I'm going to give you now is your new best friend and a weapon. And whenever you're feeling angry, upset, or generally finding it hard in school, I want you to write down how you feel in this book. I was like, okay, cool, look, I'll try anything. So the book becomes like a book of torture. I'm torturing people who have been bad to me in the school. It's like really amazing stuff. But what I'm learning is, is I'm learning to basically write my thoughts down and to keep them and to be proud of them. So that there's like an archive of thoughts. I've kept every notebook I've ever had since I was 13 years old. Got all of them. I can chart the beginning of all of the great things that I've done in my life, the beginning of Run Them, the beginning of Blacktronica, the beginning of Attica Blues, like all of this stuff I can chart because the books are there. But the most thing also, it gave me a copy of this book called Catcher on the Rye as well, which for me was mind-blowing. I just used to walk around pecking with it out, just like... <laughs> Catcher on the Rye. I just, that, like, it's really weird, actually. Just basically, Mr Shepherd just made me feel like I was more sophisticated than I actually was. It was really cool. And so I think it's really important, like, if you're not getting at home, then you've got to find some teachers, basically. And the teachers come in many different shapes and forms. But the one thing about Catch a Rise, what it showed me, is that basically it just opened up a world of books where I could find more encouragement. So you've got to have your book list. You've got to have the 10 books on your list, which basically are your books. So my books are The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell. It's a great book. Got to read that. And there's a book by Ben Watt from Everything But The Girl called Patient, which is really super amazing. And there's a number of other different books in our house. So we have our teacher there. Okay, the official teacher. The next teacher that came into my life, another unexpected source, my cousin, Fenella. Even that just sounds cool, doesn't it? Like, Fenella. <laughs> Fenella was from West London. Okay? So we lived in the South, but Fenella's from West. And that was really interesting to me because she just had a different perspective on life because she was from West London. And as far as I was concerned at that age, that was like a completely other world. I didn't even know anything about that place. We'd go to Fenella's house, eat pounded yam and fufu, and then come home. My mum, for some strange reason, I don't know why or how she decided this, my 13th birthday, she decides we're going to have a birthday party. We're going to have a birthday party in the house. I would never have a 13th birthday party for any of my children. Never. Come in. No way. So we have this 13th birthday party in the house, and, you know, I think it's going to be a really sophisticated affair. It's 8 o'clock. No one's arrived yet. I'm really, really super nervous about this. Like, no one is here. Half past eight, the doorbell starts ringing, and in our house, it just gets overrun by posh kids from South London, and they are going wild. <laughs> My mum had this stereo, like, you know, a kind of stack stereo that was like, do not touch the, do not touch the stereo. <laughs> Don't even look at the stereo. And they came in and started playing I Made In Records backwards on the stereo. Like, you know, this party was getting superly out of hand. My cousin, basically, Fenella, you know, that day, she did, she did uh, one thing again that changed my life. When everyone had left, she was like, look, one, you don't have to be like them. You can be yourself. That's okay. I was kind of looking at her like, okay. Secondly, you need to improve your taste in music. <laughs> your taste in music is terrible. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you. And she, write, she wrote, and I really wish I had this paper. And I keep, I'm a hoarder. And I keep everything, but for some reason I can't find this piece of paper. On this piece of paper, she wrote down the words JFM, 103 point something, like the frequency. 
pirate radio station. And she's like, look, what are you going to do? When I'm gone, you're going to start tuning into this station. They play really good music on this station, and you can learn some stuff, and, and they've got really good DJs, and it's going to help you be cool. Because she recognised me in this thing that I needed some tools of encouragement. I needed some help. Okay? She wasn't going to give me the whole journey, just a little bit. Piece of paper. Let's see what you can do with that. Now, the unfortunate thing about JFM is JFM is at 103 point something FM, and all the stations that my mum liked to listen to were down in the kind of like 80, 88, BBC Radio 4, Radio London, and so on and so forth. There was a lot of basically, she's not in. We're going to turn the stereo up to the side, <laughs> tune in for our little station, and then as soon as we hear those footsteps coming back, we're going to turn it back down <laughs> and tune it back in. And the thing is, all this time I thought she didn't know, until one day I came home, and I always remember this, she'd put a sticker over... <laughs> the station that she liked. Yeah. Now, I was quite impressed by this because it made, it made it easy for me to tune myself back in. So it was kind of cool. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But anyway, what I realized from this is the world is full of mentors. They come from many different shapes and sizes. Some people know you, some people you don't. But the most important thing is to be a sponge. Got to be like sponge, be like melting pot. That's the amazing thing about London, actually, as a city, which I always say to people is like, London is a melting pot. It absorbs information from all around the world, remixes it and spits it back out. That's what makes it special. So that's what it taught me, be a sponge. Um, but the most important thing about being given this piece of paper was hearing a song. This opened my eyes up to the world of, OK, there's music out there that can encourage you, Charlie. We need to accumulate as much of that as possible. This explains why there are 40,000 records in our house at this time. Much of my partner's disgust is just like, I don't understand why you've got to have to all this music, you can't play it all the way, you've only got two pairs of ears, why you have to have 40,000 records? But on this journey, on this, on this station, I always remember this, I'm, here, I'm there, I'm lit tuning in, and then suddenly I hear this, and it's Lonnie Liston Smith, Expansions. And I'm like, the first line of this record is like, expand your mind, and then some other stuff happened. And I was, I was like, I'm like 14 around this time, and I'm like, this is the wildest thing. The guy in the record's telling me to expand my mind. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm in it. So that was like a thing. So we can always find some kind of inspiration and some encouragement for some music as well. Now, this is the important part. We've basically talked about parents. We've talked about various other teachers around, but... At some point, you have to learn to encourage yourself. So for me, a couple of things happened. I'm still in South London. I don't have a bike, but I have been traveling by this time. I'm accumulating a record collection. I have a friend called Benji who basically gives me 50 records because he works in a record shop, so he's got doubles and triples of everything. So he's like, you know what? You kind of look like you're really into music, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a head start. Here are 50 records for you to have. Some James Brown, 
some other rare stuff. And I'm like, cool, this is amazing, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Like, that's really great. And that taught me a really important thing because at that time, records were rare and they were expensive. He didn't have to do that. To this day, I'm like, why did you do that? He's like, because you just needed some encouragement. And that's okay. So it's always good, I think, to basically pass on encouragement to other people as much as you possibly can as well. Because what you give out comes back. Right, okay. So the next thing is this. I've got this amazing record collection, but I'm still in South London. I want to get out. I want to get out. I've finished school by this time. I've kind of done my exams. They've kind of gone okay. I don't want to go to university. My mum's like, you have to go. She's like, when you go and you finish, I'll leave you alone. You can do whatever you want. I only go to university because they're going to give you, um, you could get a grant at the time. I spend it all on records and starve for three years. But I'm like, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are different from me. Around about this time, I faced my first bit of disappointment in encouragement, where all my life I thought, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to go to London College of Printing, and I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to write for The Guardian, that's what I'm going to do, that's all I want to do with my life, what I want to do with my life. And basically, I go, I mess up the interview completely, and they reject me. I'm like, wow. So then, I look through ID magazine, and in there, there's an article about Soho. And I think to myself, hold on a minute, I really want to be a journalist, I want to be involved in media. All the media people seem to work in Soho. If I can somehow get a job in Soho, then I'm going to be around those people. I'm going to do it. I'm going through and going through and going through. There's a, a hairdresser called Demop, and I think to myself in a genius moment, look, everyone in life has to get their hair cut. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to meet someone that's going to help me. So I'm going to go to Demop right now, and I'm basically going to tell them that they have to give me a job because I'm going to look good standing in the doorway. And I go there and I say to them, you need to give me a job because I'm going to look good standing in the doorway. And they think, great, we've got someone new who can come and sweep up the floor. You're employed. And we're going to pay you £15 a week. And I'm like, yeah, brilliant, great, I'll take that. I didn't even think about it. So I go there. Day one, two things happen. The first person that comes into the door is Tim Westwood. <laughs> yeah? And I'm a big hip-hop fan. Like, I've, de I've dedicated my life to listening to hip-hop music and travelling around London to places to go and hear hip-hop records. It's informing my whole life. And now the guru of hip-hop in London at the time has just walked in to get his hair cut. And as I'm there, washing Tim Westwood's hair... <laughs> yeah? What's really striking me is this. One, he's not talking in that funny radio accent. He's not walking as if one of his legs is shorter than the other. In fact, he's talking to me in a very normal accent, and he's talking to me about stocks and shares. This is my hip-hop guru. I want to talk about rare Run DMC records, and so on and so forth, and you're talking to me about money. Why are you doing that, Tim? He says something to me. He says, what you should do every week is you should save a pound. Because at the end of the year, you'll leave you with 52 pounds to treat yourself, because life is hard. And that's something that stuck with me for the whole of my life. Every week, I put away a pound. And at Christmas time, I spend 52 pounds on myself and I treat myself because I survived another year. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Next thing that happens is Malcolm McLaren walks in. So it's Tim Westwood followed by Malcolm McLaren. And I'm just like, Malcolm McLaren, the manager of the Sex Pistols, the maker of one of my favourite albums, Duck Rock, is here in the place. I can't believe it. This is amazing. I don't want to talk about Vivian Westwood. I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about his album, and on the, if, you know, if you know this record, on the cover is a radio with loads of aerial... It's an amazing thing. It's got cow horns coming off it. I'm like, yo, Malcolm, where did you get the box? Where can I buy one? And he's like, 
if you want to do anything in life, you've got to do it yourself. And again, I have another epiphany moment. I'm just like, DIY, culture, this is brilliant. This is really cool. I'm going to go and do it myself. So one thing I think as well is like, as well as being open to kind of inspiration and encouragement from different places, you kind of have to know to treasure the gems that come. Because certain people are going to give you gems that if you're not open like sponge, it just goes in one ear, comes out the other, and it doesn't kind of resonate with your body. So I'm from South London at this time. I have not been around any gay people in my life until I come to Soho. And I have a situation where basically there's a guy there, Argentinian guy called Billy. Very long hair, walks downstairs. It's the end of the day one day, and then suddenly he comes up, and it kind of looks like Billy, but he's dressed in women's clothes, he's got lipstick on, and it looks super glamorous. I'm like, where's Billy? I am Billy. <laughs> now, it's interesting, because actually, what I realised at that moment is I can take encouragement from anywhere, and these people are not looking at me like, this guy's the black kid from South London. They're just like, he's a really cool guy. It was a real shift, because I'd come from a culture where people were like, you know, misogynistic, homophobic, and so on and so forth. And then these guys changed my life around. I was like, I can take this encouragement and inspiration from lots of different places. And more importantly, I can take help from different places. I like this. So I start going to Lubbock Grove, and I'm hanging out, and I'm buying music, and I'm in the hairdressers, and that's all super cool. And I'm meeting all these really interesting people in the job. And... I actually ended up working at The Word as well for Channel 4 because they're like, you kind of look like you, you know about street culture. I don't know nothing about it. But we're going to pay you to kind of talk about it and I go and do that. But most importantly, I met this guy, James Lavelle, in a record shop. He's 16 years old. He's from Oxford, basically. And he says a couple of things to me. He says to me, you look like you're into hip-hop. Can you make me some beats? Can you make me a record? And I remember standing that, you know, in Honest John's with my hands on the counter and looking at him and being like, I've never made a record in my life. I don't know how to make music, but this is an opportunity. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk until my, the velvet rope stops me. I.e., I'm going to lie and say, yes, <laughs> I can do this, and I'm going to keep on walking until the velvet rope stops me. I look him dead in the eye and I'm like, yeah, man, I make beats. Yeah, I make loads of beats, man. Like, I've got beats coming out of my ears, man. I've been beating so much in my life. Like, I've got beats, yeah. And I go away, and I go and make some records. I don't know anything about making records. But what I do know about is the idea of the team. When you can't do something, what you need to do is find some people who can. Hang out with them and get them to teach you how to do it. So... Another thing that I realise around this time is, you know, I start making these records, but what I realise is the power of the collective thinking when it comes to encouragement. And what I mean by that is that basically, you are the company that you keep. So a lot of times what we do is we surround ourselves with yes people. These are people who basically just say yes to everything we do. Every idea you think about, they're like, yes, yeah, great, man, it's great. And actually what I realise is we need a, you need a couple of no people in there. The reason why we don't like no people is no people remind you of your parents. <laughs> you know that thing when you kind of come in and it's like, Mum, i got a C! <laughs> we don't accept Cs in this house. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah? So that's always a thing. It's like, basically, we don't like to have no people because no people have to make you stop and think. So the power of the collective, the company that you keep, I.e. the power of collective is, if you do well, I do well. Power the Collective has brought me UPS, Open Poets Society, Attica Blues, Blacktronica, Rundum Crew, 
common goal is a space when people can gather together to encourage each other to be greater than they actually thought that they really were. Simple. Um, around this time, I also met a mentor, Andrew Missingham, one of the craziest people I know, but a lot of projects I've done over the last 25 years, he's the first person that I call up and speak to. And the thing about this is this, Jay-Z has mentors. Beyonce has mentors. Most of the great people that you look up to in the world have a mentor. The only thing is, they don't tell you that they have a mentor. You do not go from being on the street corner 24-7 to being a billionaire without having someone to guide you along the path. Yeah? So it's okay to have a mentor. So one of my things about encouragement is find yourself a mentor and switch your mentor up as well. And if you are above the age of 40, get yourself a young mentor. Someone that when you say Instagram, they're like, oh, I know how to use that. And I get this from Miles Davis. Miles Davis' thing was that every three years, he would sack his band and fill it up with the baddest young players that he could find. And what did it do? Kept him ahead of the game of everyone else, kept his sound fresh, but also meant that his finger was on the pulse. Yeah? So that's really important. Um, what did I learn from Andrew Missingham? Most important thing I learned is this. If you can't do the idea small, how can you prove that it's going to be big? So a lot of times what happens is when people come together and they have an opportunity and there's money involved, the first thing they do is they just pluck some figure from the sky and they try and make it as big as they possibly can get away with. We're actually thinking this. If I can do this with £50, if I can under-promise under and over-deliver, and if I can do this with £50, the next time when I go in, because I've proven that I can do it with the £50, when I ask for the 5000 I don't need to blink anymore, because I've already proven that I can do it. Yeah? OK. Right, so we're, we're wrapping up now. For those of us whose bottoms are getting hard and thinking like that, you know what I mean? You can have a little stretch if you need to have a little stretch. But the very important thing is, think is this. When you're thinking about encouragement is, what type of encourager are you? Are you a dancing around the subject kind of encourager? Or are you a truth teller? Ten years ago, I started working with a truth teller. And I'd purposely avoided working with the truth teller all this time, even though I'd known him since I was 16. The guy called Benji Reed, dancer, hip hop choreographer, like the guy's 50 years old and his belly is just six pack, pow, 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 pow. super flexible to do backflips in your face, touch his toes, do everything. He basically does all the stuff that you wish you could do, but you can't do. And um, I get commissioned to write this one man show about my musical career. And, you know, I kind of walk in there with, like, I'm Charlie Dark. Can't tell me nothing. Nothing at all. And he's very truthfully, he was just like, look, bruv, you know what? You're going to be playing 20 different characters in this show. We've got a UK tour. And every time you lift your T-shirt up, your belly starts to show. And you're actually looking a bit portly. <laughs> you look a bit fat, Charlie. And I, I always remember standing there being like, is this... Benji Reid, man's not even from London, he's from Manchester. Trying to tell me, <laughs> trying to tell me about myself. But one of the most important lessons I learned is that basically you've got to have a truth teller because the truth teller changed my life around. Because he made me go home and look in the mirror and really check in with myself, which I think a lot of times we forget to do. Like, when was the last time you actually sat down and looked 
in the mirror for a length of time. You're not doing makeup, you're not trying to wash your face, you're not trying to shave. What you're doing is just looking at yourself and seeing what you can learn about yourself. So, Truth Stella basically comes in, and this is how I started Run Them. And, you know, Run Them has changed my life. And the only reason why I started Run Them is because at that point, I'd got to the point where I was a bit tired of life. I was tired of London, I was confused, I was at a crossroads, the things weren't really going well. And I just thought to myself, actually, what is the thing that's happening? At times in my life, I've needed encouragement, really encouragement and help. And I'm surrounded by all these young people that I see in my neighbourhood, and they need a bit of help. But what I didn't do is sit down being like, writing on Facebook, everyone needs a bit of help. Everyone needs a bit of help. Everyone needs a help. Well, I actually thought to myself, you know what? Everyone needs a bit of help, and I'm going to help myself. One of the things that's really important is learning to help yourself. That carpe diem, seize the day. So what I do, simple, it's five telephone calls. It's funny, I work with brands now as a brand consultant, and they're always like, but how are we gonna, how are we gonna, how are we gonna pull the community together? You just get on the telephone and call them up. <laughs> That's it. It's not rocket science, it literally is, yo, I'm doing this thing on Friday, you wanna come? Cool, you there? All right, you're there. You're gonna come as well? <laughs> you there? You there, there? Cool, boom. And then suddenly, it becomes the thing. Where do I get that from? Malcolm McLaren, DIY culture. That's the reason why it's important to keep the notebook, so you're always referencing the thing. And if anyone says to you, oh, I don't know about that, you just pull out a notebook and be like, there you go. So, I start the crew, five friends running Friday night, one mile, sharing it on Facebook, the story is known, it blows up, da, 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 da. we bring this big community, we grow it, it becomes an international thing, we're running all around the place, but I learned a couple of things. One, it's not how fast you go, it's how you cross the finish line. There is no rush. We all will get to our point of enlightenment at different points. So just because someone else is enlightened does not mean that you have to be enlightened too. You just do it in your own time. But remember, just be a sponge and be open. It's my way of paying the universe back. You've got to pay the universe back. Every single person in this room at some point has been encouraged by someone. So what I say to you is the universe needs you. You're the encouragement superheroes. So tomorrow, when you wake up, whether it's a letter, text, telephone, a smile, a look on the train, whatever it is, pass on some of that encouragement that you have received to someone else. Um, the thing about being an imposter and walking into the velvet rope, that's okay. I did a programme with the BBC and the royal family, Mind of a Marathon, which was my way of giving back. So I'm here with Prince Harry, Wills, Kate, and we're just running around and hanging out, and they arrived in a bulletproof Land Rover with, like, the secret SAS all over the place. And as I went home on the train, <laughs> I thought to myself, that's cool. That's OK. I did my part to give back. The Bieber were like, are they going to get for the marathon? Are they going to be able to do it? I'm like, of course they're going to be able to do it. This is what we do. We're in the job of encouraging people. You know, there's a list of various different people. Ed Sheeran. Ballum, playing in a pub. Ed, you know what? You're wicked, man. You're pretty cool. Keep on doing that. Troy, magician. Saw him at McDonald's when he was 15 years old doing car tricks in the street. I'm like, you know what? That's really amazing, Troy. Carry on with that. Jams, there's a whole list of people. Lady Leisha, couldn't rap to save her life, but now can rap wicked. You know what? You're wicked. But what I'm saying to you is that basically it's kind of like, you know, we all have a part to play in the success of other people. That thing of, if you do well, then I do well. 
And last thing I'll say um, to wrap myself up is sometimes the place of encouragement is in the place that you're scared to go. I get invited to a lot of these kind of like hippie kind of well-being, come and burn some incense candles and lie on the floor and hug all your friends in up in the place. And, and I always say no. Why do I say no? Because it reminds me of people I went to school with. I don't want to go. But recently I went to a thing called the Immersion. And again, another life transformative experience. Because what I realise is this. As Mary J. Bly says, how can I love somebody else if I don't love myself enough to know? How can I encourage other people if I've forgotten how to encourage myself? Because I've given out so much energy encouraging other people that I've forgotten to take time to give myself some self-love. You can have the tattoos and the murals and the wall and all of that stuff. It doesn't mean anything if you're not really checking in with yourself. I go on this immersion thing, and what I realise is self-love is really important. Waking up in the morning and saying to yourself, I am enough, looking in the mirror and really meaning it, is really important. Learning to meditate, taking five, ten minutes out of your day just to sit with your own thoughts. Yeah, because you are your best friend. If you can't encourage yourself, then no one can encourage you. My name's Charlie Dark. Thank you for your time. Charlie Dark, the House of St. Barnabas Lecturer, 2017. Do you have a seat, Charlie? I'm going to take a couple of uh, questions. So if you have a question for Charlie, there's a roving mic, which we've got there. Um, I'm going to start off... Sorry, my name is Andrew Missingham. I'm uh, one of the co-founders with Ben Gallagher of BNA. We are the presenters of this event. House of St. Barnabas is an organisation which we have a long relationship with, and... But it's not half as long as the relationship that I've had with you, Mr. Charlie Dark. Um, I've got a funny one for you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know if there have ever been a t- if there been a time where you have needed to ask for encouragement, where you have had to turn it around, and rather than it coming to mm-hmm. you, yeah, mm-hmm. or you giving it out, mm-hmm. you have thought, I need to I need to ask for it. I need to seek it. And what happens then? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, specifically over the last two, three years, because I think that's the most difficult obstacles that I've had to to face. And um, I think having certain people in, in, you know, in my camp, because ultimately, end of the day, I think like relationships and friends, there's the friends you think you should have, the friends you want to have, and the friends you should have, and they're three different people. You know, and the same when it goes with partners, the one you want to be with, should be with, need be with. They're all three different people. But actually having someone, you know, in your camp where you can just be like, I don't feel super great today and I need you to shower me with a little bit of love and encouragement and someone who understands that that's okay to do. You know, when someone asks you, it's okay to give them, you know, yeah. some help and, and some encouragement. And you've, you've encouraged so many people, as I say, you know, we work together on so many different projects, and I've seen it happen. Um, I've, it's a mischievous question to ask, but has there ever been anyone that you've encouraged that you've regretted? <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely, definitely, How definitely. How does that feel? Um, you know, it used to actually kind of upset me, but now what I realise is it's kind of, you know, it's OK. Sometimes you're going to put power in the hands of someone who doesn't know how to use it. But that's okay. 
Because what I realise is like, you know, in the same way when you meet people where you're trying to encourage them, trying to encourage them, trying to encourage them, and they never ever actually listen to what you have to say. And then years down the line, they're still complaining about the situation that they're in. We know lots of people like that. Yeah, what I realise is, I'm just not the person, right person to encourage you, you know? So therefore, I can't get through to you, but maybe someone else hopefully will. In the same way, you know, some people you give it to, they run wild, they blossom. You know, we see that with the running crew youngers, they blossomed into these amazing kind of beautiful people. And then some people, the power goes to their head, you know, but there are so many people who need help that I can't focus my attention and my energy on you just go and do what you're doing, you know, because ultimately what I think is what goes around comes around. So eventually, you get found out, you know? So it's cool. Let life do with you. I'm okay. We're going to take a couple of questions. Is there anything you want to ask Charlie or anything you want to talk about? Who's that? Thank you so much. Um, being a father, yes. can you um, maybe talk a bit about how and where your encouragement comes from from within your family? <sighs> My mum's pretty super encouraging. I try and speak to other men that I know who are also dads going through the same thing, the imposter syndrome, because we're all boys at heart, really. There was a day when I basically thought, right, I'm going to do some research on why some things work and some don't. And I, was, I looked at two people specifically. I looked at Jay-Z and Beyonce and David Beckham and his missus. And what I realised about them that they have is because I, mean, I think about someone like David Beckham, he could have been with absolutely anybody but he deliberately chose one of the Spice Girls. And I have this theory that basically it's all about the team. I never really thought about family or relationships as being a team before, as in everyone has their role, you know? Um, once I kind of fathomed, you know what, it's about putting together the team, then what I realised is, as well as the family team, I need to have the friendship team. I have to have certain people in my life around me tell me the truth, pick me up when I really need picking up, put me down when I'm flying a bit too high, and it's about putting together my team. So I've got a good team of people now that basically I can work, I can work with. But it's, it's hard to find those people, but the world is a big place. And, you know, Wi-Fi is fast, so, you know, and you have FaceTime now. So basically, these people can be absolutely anywhere in the world. Time for one more. Ben, go ahead. Um, Charlie, you've created loads of different things in your career. Um, how do you know when, as the initiator, to take a step back and let something fly without you? This is something that basically Andrew has been trying to teach me, because I'm, I like to be very hands-on. So I was signed to Sony Records in the 90s, and then we got dropped. Sade basically delivered her album late that year, and that meant that everyone got dropped. Um, and my world fell apart, because I really thought like, I was going to be a super big rock star, and it was all going to be super amazing. And after that, I became very hands-on, like, I can't let anyone else into this idea. And, then, and what I've realised now is you have to take a step back in order to let the thing that you've created grow and also let the people within it grow. And actually, it's, I think it's really interesting. When you take your foot off the, off the accelerator a bit, it's actually really amazing how fast the car can drive, how manoeuvrable it can be. Because when you're going fast, when it's all the way down, you can only steer it in one direction. 
take your foot off slightly, and then you can turn at ease, you know? And so what I've, you know, definitely now, particularly with Run Them, I try and take a, you know, a real step back and just kind of be there as a bit of a, like, the sculpture guy who kind of shapes it a little bit when it's getting a bit out of shape. But otherwise, I try and be a bit hands-off because, actually, what I realise now is I've done so many ideas that, actually, I don't need to be precious about them because I know that if that one messes up, another one will come. And that's kind of like the, just the confidence of being able to be like, you know, I was in the um, newsagents about a year ago, and when I came out, there was a group of kids with mountain bikes wearing athletic sports apparel. <laughs> and as I opened the door to come out, one of them said to me, all right, boss. And I looked around like, who's he calling boss? And he's like, and then I realized he was talking to me. And what I've realized now is I've now become the person that I used to look up to people when I was his age. So therefore, why am I driving the car so fast? Let me just relax a bit and enjoy, you know, the spoils of what I've kind of created. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, everybody, come and join us for a drink and a chat. But I'd like to thank very much um, Encouragement Superhero, Charlie Dutch. <laughs>